imagine this. Here you are sitting in the lap of your heavenly father. What would God, our father, with a perfect love, say to us? And I set this up by saying, what would God say if Laverne, what would he say? Laverne, you are so, and so far sitting in my office, I've never had a person be able to say anything positive about themselves in that moment. Never. Now I can get them to say some things. I can finally encourage them and get them to say some things about themselves. But so far, just by setting that up, saying, Ryan, you are so blank every single time. Because the world has gotten to us. Opinions, other people have gotten to us. And it's very, very hard for us to see ourselves exactly the way that God sees us. For God to say, R.D., you are amazing. You are so handsome. You are so strong. You are so kind. You are so loving. Chad, you're powerful. You're handsome. You're talented. So gifted. And it's like, don't say those things to me. If I were to ask you today, who knows you best? What would our instant answer be? God. God knows me best. But it's his opinion that we value the least. Well, I want to tell you, we addressed this last week. Because the first gray area that has to be cleared up is how do you feel about you? And I want to go just a little bit further on this this morning. I don't particularly like using PowerPoint in the middle of a sermon, but sometimes it's just the best way to share something. I want to talk to you this morning about this word repent. No matter what we put in that bottom box, but I want this morning for you to put you in that bottom box. We can put any topic there, we can put any issue there or any person there, but this morning I want to focus on you. Our opinion of us is shaped by these things. The first is my ancient past. This is the lives of our great-grandparents and other family members who by their values, by their problems, by their challenges, shaped those people that directly affected us. We don't even know these people, haven't met these people. But I want to tell you for certain, they, have, they are forming, helping us shape an opinion about ourselves. And then my past, these are my grandparents and my parents that directly had a, an ability to shape my life, their values, their morals, their problems, their situations. Next, my recent past. These are past relationships with those, with others that were important to me, but had direct impact. These can be parents, this can be boyfriends, this can be girlfriends, this can be teachers, these can be other people, my past, that had a very direct impact on me understanding me, having an opinion of me. And then the last one is my current life right now. Those interactions that currently shape how I regard my life, the challenges I face, the struggles that I have, the people that I know, the job that I have, all of these things create this line that tells me this is how I feel about me. Now, I've taught this before because what God wants us to do, the call for every one of us, when we start thinking about ourselves, the word is repent. But it doesn't mean what we have thought it meant. For most of us in our life, what we thought 
Repent was, is I'm doing something wrong. Repent means to turn, and now I'm doing something right. I want to tell you, that is not even close to what repent means. You look it up in Greek. There it will say, first thing, to change your mind. I drew the second line last night when I prepared because something hit me this week when I was talking to someone. The typical picture of changing my mind is that I go through all those factors, all of those things that impacted me, all those things that touched my life, and I reevaluate them and I come up with a new conclusion. The reason this struck me so much was because the biggest part of my life was defined by me being determined not to be my dad. You see, that was my second line. I was determined to not be impacted by those things that were in my life. I was determined not to be him in so many ways. But what was I still doing? I was still letting all of those things be the impact. It might be the opposite side of it, but my identity was still coming right out of that line. Whether I yielded to it and tried to be like him or I resisted him and tried not to be like him, both of them were coming right out of that same line. And the, the end result was my opinion of me was still skewed by everything that was back there. And I want to tell you this morning, you are not the product of all of those events. You are not the result of all those opinions all those problems, all those challenges, all those values, all those morals, you are not the end product of all those things. The word repent means to change your mind. And it says, I don't want you to just adjust these factors. I want you to do totally something radically different. He said, I want you to leave this whole line and I want you to go find a whole new source of thought, a whole new route from which your thoughts now come. And he says, if you do it right, if you do it the way that I'm asking you to do it, your opinion of you will be formed by God. And you will only think of yourself in the terms and the ways that God sees you. We have no right. We have no privilege. We have no responsibility but to see ourselves and define ourselves by those things that originate in God's mind and in God's heart. And so if you're believing something about yourself less than that, it's not coming from God. I know who it's coming from, and so do you. If you're believing something less about yourself than what God would say about you, I know where it's coming from, and it is not God. What would God say to you? Kate read that scripture last week, Psalm 139. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Why would he speak less of something that he created? You're beautiful, you're strong, you're capable, you're loving, you're talented, you're skillful, you're full of grace, you're full of mercy. All of those things he says to us in our answer to him is, God, you've got to be talking to somebody else. Every time I hold Cora, every time, this morning when Benjamin is running by me and I say, Benjamin, you're so handsome. What did Aaron, what did you tell him to say? I said, Benjamin, you're so handsome. The same thing that either Jessica or Dustin will tell me every Sunday morning when I get through with that list, they'll say, Cora, say thank you. Say thank you. What should we do when God begins to speak about us? With all the significance of every one of those phrases, what does he want to hear back from us? Thank you. Not, no, that's not me. You, God, you don't know. All he wants to hear is for us to say, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you that you believe those things about me. 
Well, that's where we were last week. I need to go somewhere else this morning. The second of the gray areas, and it probably might should have been the first, that I need for us to clear up is what we think about God. Last week it was what God thinks about us. I need to try this morning to clear up, if possible, those views, those things that we believe about God that are absolutely untrue. It's going to take me a little bit of scripture to actually show you this, but I want us to get it this morning. Many of us grew up, and we've projected this onto him. Many of us grew up believing in a view of God that he is stern and angry, hard to please, and greatly disappointed in me. I don't want to see a show of hands, but I would venture to say that the majority of us here were raised, trained to believe that God was somehow hard to please and somewhat disappointed because we don't seem to be able to get things right that he's stern and and that he's angry. But I want to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. I want to frame that this morning. If that's what you believe, then get ready this morning because I want you to see something radically, radically different. I don't know what you believe about God this morning, but I want every one of us to sit right here open this morning and say, God, I want you to move me from where I am into a deeper understanding of who you are. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want us to first understand why we have gotten so far off and then take a look at a few things that we know are true about our Father. Well, how did we get off? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'll begin reading with verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, Neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. And we unfortunately sometimes stop reading right there that says we can't know those things. But if you'll read verse uh, verse 10, it says, but God has revealed them unto us. God has revealed unto us those things which God has planned for us, those unbelievable things that God wants to show us. And he revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of, which is of God, that we may know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual This is one of the most dynamic passages that tells us that God wants us to know him and he wants us to know the reality of his nature. For three and a half years, Jesus lived this story. For three and a half years, he lived telling us this truth. I want to show it to you first of all, though, again in the PowerPoint slide. I just start with the beginning of of this phrase in the middle, God the Father. We talked earlier about how we formed opinions of ourselves. Well, I want to tell you today how we have formed, unfortunately, formed opinions about God, the Father. It starts with us beginning with an earthly father. So many times we project onto God those characteristics of our earthly father. And so the way we develop a, an understanding of God the Father is we begin with a man 
and we look at the arrow, we reason up an understanding of God. What our minds can think, what our hearts can feel, we reason up an understanding of who God is. The problem with that is our earthly fathers, earthly men, are variable. You can move them. Our earthly fathers could be pleased with us, could be displeased with us, could be reasonable, could be unreasonable. Our fathers, our earthly fathers, could be variable based on how well I did. If I did well, I pleased them. If I didn't do well, they were disappointed. And so our earthly fathers were variable. And what happens if we begin there and reason up, what happens to our perception of God? That he is also variable. That we can please him and we can displease him. He can be happy with me or he can be angry with me. He can be frustrated with me or he can be excited about me. But I want to tell you one of the greatest problems that we have with God is that because we have reasoned up a version, we have made him have human qualities that he does not have. We are made in his image. He is not made in ours. How's it supposed to look? How are we supposed to know God? How are we supposed to know God the Father? It should always begin according to this scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. How should it begin? Who knows God? It says in that scripture, who knows God better than anyone? The Spirit of God. Everything we know about God has to begin with the Holy Spirit, and it's not reasoned up, it's revealed down. Everything I know about God had to come by the reality of the Holy Spirit because John 14 said the Holy Spirit would lead me into all truth. If I know something correct about God, it had to come by the work of the Holy Spirit. And what we will find is that God is not variable. Look at this scripture. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, John 1, 17. He is not variable. You cannot move him. You can't make him love you more. You can't make him love you less. You can't deserve more grace or deserve less grace. You can't make him more kind to you or less kind to you because his kindness, his love, his mercy, his grace is not born in me. It's not based on my performance. It's based in him. And I'm so glad that God is not variable, that he didn't get upset with me and disappointed with me because something I failed to do, some standard I didn't meet, or some expectation I didn't honor. I want to tell you, if we begin to get this reality, that what we should believe about God, just like believing about us, had to begin and originate with God and come to us, what we know about God also has to originate with God where we're going to have a misunderstanding and it's going to make us make God variable, hard to please, contentious, angry, disappointed, frustrated. And I will tell you, that is not God. Please understand that is not God. Go with me to John 1, 18. I'll I'll get there in just a second. For three and a half years, Jesus lived so that we might know the Father, that we might know what he is like, that we might know his nature. John 1.18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. Jesus came so that we could see and know the nature of our father. Know what he's like, know what he is about. Hebrews chapter one, beginning with verse one. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, 
hath in those last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged sin, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Verse 3, notice that again. Jesus, who being the brightness of the Father's glory, and the expressed image of the Father's person, and upholding all things by the word of the Father's power, Jesus came so that we could understand and see what the Father was like. And I want to tell you, when they began to do that, it rocked the religious world. The Pharisees didn't know what to do. The Sadducees didn't know what to do. No one in the religious world knew what to do with this man named Jesus, who was now telling them about the nature of God and the misunderstanding that they had about who they were worshiping. And they couldn't handle it, and many can't handle it today. What do you think the Pharisees thought when Jesus sat down in Matthew's house, the tax collector, and they wouldn't dare come in? And they're asking the disciples, why is your master, why is your Lord sitting at the table with these sinners? What does it tell us about the heart of God when Jesus went into Matthew's house? That Jesus, God our Father, by his nature, is not bothered to spend time with sinners. You get that? That shocked the religious world. They had no idea that the God that they loved, because they would say God would get as far away from sin as he could possibly get. Jesus, now showing us the nature of the Father, the brightness of his glory, the expressed image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. What if we were to actually believe that Jesus, according to the scripture, by the work of the Holy Spirit, now comes to live in me, what does it say that I'm supposed to be? If Jesus was the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, and that Jesus now lives in me by the reality of the Holy Spirit, who am I supposed to be? I am supposed to be the brightness of his glory. I'm supposed to be the express image of the person of our Father, and I'm supposed to uphold all things by His power. That's who you are called to be. That's who I am called to be. That's the way the Father has established us so that we could display the reality of God. How in the world are we going to do that if we don't correctly, by the Spirit, know Him? How can we be to this world the image of God? How can we be to this world the brightness of His glory? And we go around with our candle under a bushel, hoping that we go unnoticed. And God says, no, I lit your candle so that you could run into that darkness, so that you could move the world. But you cannot do it if we don't clear up this gray area of who God really is. Because we will still believe some things about him that are absolutely untrue. Go with me, first of all, if you would, to Galatians 4. And I'll go as quickly through these as I can. I want us to see some things about God that maybe we might have missed. There's no way that I can be comprehensive in this. It would take us forever to completely describe who God is. But he brought me these points because these are relevant to us this morning. First of all, we have to get this. He sees me just exactly as the way he sees his son. When God would look upon Jesus, his son 
by the reality of the Holy Spirit, he looked at Jesus exactly the way that he looks at me. No difference. You can find no difference. He sees me, his child, just as he saw his, his own son. Galatians 4, beginning with verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Our Sunday morning Bible study has been about the difference between being a son and being a servant. And some of those things really stood out to me because one of those was that a servant will never believe that what the master has would ever be given to him. All that I will ever get from the master are those things that I work for and that he's obligated to give me. That's the heart of a servant. He can see the house, he can see the land, he can see the wealth, he can see everything, but he doesn't believe for a second that what the master has could ever be given to him as a servant. But a son, on the other hand, a son will know by right, a son will know by inheritance that everything that the father has, not someday, has already been given to me. Which way do you want to live? You were not saved to serve. If that's in your head, get rid of it. You were not saved to serve. It will every time create a smaller version of what God has intended. You were saved to be a son. That's what it says. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because we are sons, he has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We're no more servants, but sons, and if a son, then an heir. Everything that God has is mine. He's adopted me. He's adopted you. And I'm a joint heir with his son. And I hope this morning that reality of God will settle on our hearts and recognize that I have the privilege, the honor to live as a child of God. The second one, now a child, I am a child by paternity and not by performance. I am a child because he is my father. I'm not a child because I perform well. What does that take out of the Christian church? It takes out of the Christian church the need to get God to love me because I perform well. I am a son by paternity. I have been born again. I have been born now with a father who is the creator of the universe. That is my reality. That is our reality. I am a child not because I perform well. I don't. We're not children because we do everything right. We don't. We are children because we were born again. He is my father and nothing can change that fact. Number three, if Jesus is the expressed image of his father, then his father will hang out with sinners. Number four, God keeps no record of wrong. Ryan, if I were to ask you this morning to go back to your house in Lubbock and get the book that you and Kate are keeping where you have been writing down everything since Samuel was born, that he has ever done wrong, what would be the problem? No such book. So what do you think if we as human parents have no desire to keep record of our children's wrong and our hearts are imperfect, what do you think the heart of a perfect father does? He even tells us this in 1 Corinthians 13. What does it say? Love 
keeps no record of wrong. And by the way, God says in John, God is love. He keeps no record of our wrong. I think that's fascinating. But I want to tell you what he does. The same thing you did as a parent. You didn't keep record of wrong because you were always fascinated by what your child needed next. That's what we were constantly doing, constantly watching, looking for those things that our child would need next, whether it was correction or blessing or gift or whatever it happened to be. Our eyes, our hearts were constantly fixed on what our children needed next. What do you think fascinates the heart of God? He loves to give gifts to his children. He loves to give us what we need next. Why are these two getting three babies? In anybody's mind, that may not make sense, but what God knows, for those three kids and these two parents, God knew what in their life they needed next. And I'm so grateful that God decided that it was them that needed three babies and not Jan and I. (laughs) We are grateful for many, many things. Let me continue and I'll conclude. He desires for us freedom that comes by truth. Truth will set us free. And he set in motion so that we could know the truth. Because he wanted for us as much as anything was freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from hell. Freedom from death. Freedom from self-interest. Freedom from self-protection. Freedom. He wanted us to have freedom. And his plan, as he set it in motion, was designed so that you and I could be free. And I love this verse, Colossians 2, 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. We are complete in him. I will never have a need that's not found as an answer in him. I will never have a desire that is not met in him. I will never have a frustration that doesn't get resolved in him. I will never have anxiety that doesn't resolve in him. I am complete in him. Every need, every struggle, every difficulty, every opportunity finds its resolution in him. We're complete. Couple of more. Number seven, he is in all things I am. When Jesus was in the garden and the guards had come and Judas had now said that this is the one. And Jesus says, who do you come seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus' answer was, I am. What happened in the garden when he spoke those words? Everyone was on their faces. Everyone, guards, everyone was down on the ground because Jesus had said the reality of I am. Please notice, he did not say, I do. He did not say, I go. He didn't say, I send. He didn't say, I witness. He said, I am. That's a being verb. He wanted us to know the reality of this book, the reality of the Bible. And we say it in here over and over again. We'll say it a thousand more times that this book had no intention, never had an intention of telling us what to do. This book was always a book of identity. If God wanted wanted us to know something different, when Moses asked him, who do I say that sent me? He would have said, I do. He didn't. He said, I am. He wouldn't have called us human beings. He would have called us human doings. And we're not. I am a being before a being that is a father. This is a book of identity to teach me who I am in relationship to who he is. And the only one who can do that correctly 
It's God himself to tell me who I am and to tell me who he is. Because when he said I am, because he is, we are. Simple fact, because he is. Doesn't require anything after it. Because he is, I am. We are very much the reality of that in Christ. The last one. His nature is goodness. When Moses asked to see him, and God said yes, what did he do? He hid Moses in the cleft of this rock. And God says to Moses, you asked to see me? Here it is. I will let all of my goodness pass before you. You want to see God? You look around and you see those acts of kindness. You see the goodness of his heart. And he says, I want you to know in every one of those things, you will see me. You want to see me? Look for the goodness. Look for the goodness in people's heart. Look for the goodness that comes from their hands. Look for the goodness that comes from their mouth. Look for the goodness that comes from their mind. Look for the goodness. And when you see the goodness, God says, you will have found me. You will see me. His nature is goodness and he can be nothing less. Why, what did Jesus say when they, when they came into him and says, good master? What was his response? Why do you call me good? What did he say next? There is none good but my father. All goodness originates begins and ends in the reality of our Father. I know this morning that there are a thousand more things I could tell you about God. We need these this morning. Some of us are sitting here so broken within our hearts from one situation in our life for the next. Broken. So much of that brokenness can't find any way to resolve because the brokenness within my heart feels bigger than the God that I know. What am I trying to do this morning? What does God want to do this morning? He wants to tell us, I am bigger than everything you face. I am bigger than every challenge you have. I am bigger. Trust me. Know me. Test me. Look at me. And you will find me ever faithful, always powerful, filled with glory, filled with authority. You will find me adequate in every moment. But the weight of our world, the problems and the magnitude of it, feel so much bigger than the God we were ever introduced to that seemed angry and bitter and frustrated. So our problems seem so much bigger than that God we were introduced to so long ago. I want to tell you this morning, God has such a desire so that you can actually see your challenge, your problem, your frustration in the light of who he really is. That's all he's trying to do this morning is to make himself real before you, big as he possibly can be, because we have worshipped a tiny God for a long time, and it's easy to be disobedient to a small God. It is not easy to be disobedient or irreverent to a God whose enormity fills all space, to fills the kingdoms, to fills the universe. It's hard, difficult to be disobedient and disregard to God if we ever knew the size of his love for us and his kindness toward us. But we have made him this big. And when you make God this big, he's very, very easy to ignore. When you let him become the reality and the all-consuming nature that he is, I guarantee you we will have a new relationship with him and understand there is nothing when he, when he says 
I have overcome the world. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. What could come against me that would be bigger than my father? What problem could I have that can't be solved in him? What challenge do I face that can't be resolved in a father who loves me and doesn't mind hanging out with sinners? What an enormous story. Jay? I've told Carrie over the last month or so that there is something happening in me that I have not been able to define. It, it felt and is a major shift within my heart. God has been my father for a long time. He has been the one that has taught me and given me wisdom. Part of my trip to Portland, part of the reason why I live there is in that season God became my father. He became the one that taught me. He became the one that brought me into revelation. He, he became the one that told me who I was. But it says in, in the scripture Dad read this morning that the Spirit of God comes unto us crying, Abba, Father. There's a comma in those things because they're two different things. Father is the one that teaches you, that brings you wisdom, that raises you up. There is affection in his eyes towards you and that informs all of the things that he speaks to you. Abba, if I understand it correctly, is Dad. He is the side of God that says, come and jump in my lap. I will hold you. I will love you. I'll rejoice over you. The shift that's happening in my heart is God is becoming my Abba as well. It's an interesting thing for your dad to be your pastor and your boss and for those relationships to be all mixed together in one. But for a long time, that transition has never happened. He has been my Abba. He is my dad. And, I, and for a long time, I have looked to him for reason, for great job, son. I am proud of you. I, I see what you do. I see what God is in you, and I am excited by it. But yesterday, just out in the lawn, I called God Dad for the first time. And a wave of affection swept over me that I have never known before. I was swept away. It rose up slowly but, and continues to rise within me. The more I say, Dad, God's affection is over us this morning. And he was working that in me and has been working it in me for a time. And I, I sat down and I need what the Holy Spirit needs you to know this morning is as I prayed this morning and as I spoke during worship about God being our dad and the affection that he has for us. Your pastor didn't know what was on my heart, and I didn't know what was on his. The correlation between the worship this morning, the love of a father, the love of a dad to you, the message this morning, they weren't planned. They didn't sync up because we talked. I sat down and asked him last night, what are you preaching on? He said, I don't know, it hasn't settled in me. That's the last we talked about it. God is very clearly telling you this morning, not just I am your father, but I am your Abba. I am your dad, and it is an amazing thing this morning because I can look at this man and no longer depend on him for validation, no longer look to him for great job. But I can look at him differently as he preaches, sitting there in that pew, praying in tongues, that your heart would be affected by his words, exhilarated by this man of God and the word that is in him today and how it is what is in my heart as well. I am free in my father to be his son. And in our Abba together, he is free to be my father. And I need you to hear this, dads. You're not just father to your children. You're Abba as well. 
And that's right. When they're little and before they know Jesus, you are both Abba and Father. You are the lap they jump into, the one that holds them and says, you're great, you are amazing. Look at what God did in you. And, you're your, and the Father that says, maybe that probably wasn't right, let's try it different. Next time, let's, let's do as we're asked and let's say thank you. But when the Holy Spirit enters the hearts of your children, God is now their Abba. And He is now their Father. And it's our responsibility to be an active participant in transferring that authority. And it frees us in our relationship with our children. And it frees us in our relationship with our parents. God is moving this morning, both as your Father, but also as your Abba, as your Dad. And I pray that you hear the Spirit this morning because He orchestrated today. He orchestrated it. So I pray that your hearts are open and that you do hear the word that He is speaking so clearly today. We're going to stand and sing and let God move. Whatever He does, He does. I I don't know. We're just going to let Him move.